0: Lord be with you. The continuation of the holy gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said, When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep at his right hand, but the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, O blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see thee hungry, and feed thee, or thirsty, and give thee drink? And when did we see thee a stranger, and welcome thee, or naked, and clothe thee? And when did we see thee sick, or in prison, and visit thee? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when did we see thee hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger? or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not, did not minister unto thee. Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And they will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Right. the gospel, it be about. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. About a month ago, I preached a sermon called A Matter of Justice. The gospel of the day being the story of the encounter of Jesus with the Pharisees where they tried to trap him on the question about paying taxes. The Lord famously, you might remember, asked for a coin and whose image is on the coin. He responds, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. One of the things that I mentioned in the sermon was how the government will hunt you down to gather Caesar's tribute, but the church will not come collecting on the tribute owed to God. Since our allegiance to God should always take precedence over allegiance to man, Afterward, it prompted me to post on Instagram and Facebook the rhetorical question, which do you fear more, not paying your taxes or not paying your tithing? A few people commented on the post, you know, things like, interesting question, Father, that sort of thing. But that same day, I received direct messages from two people I don't know, charging me with deviating from the Bible and teaching false doctrine. Since I have no overlapping contacts with them, I assume they must be those kind of classic trolls who only found my post by constantly doing keyword searches, like searching for the word tithing. And both sent me pages and pages of material. And in that format, it's even more frustrating because it's a very narrow little window and you've got to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll to get to the top of the message. I tried to dialogue a little bit, but with their Protestant fundamentalist take on Scripture, it was hard to have any meaningful conversation. Their main point was that tithing is not biblical for Christians. For us, all giving is voluntary and never obligatory. Biblical tithing, they said, is only for Jews, not for Gentiles. It is only to be paid to Levites, not to anyone else and it can only be paid in things like grain and livestock and so forth and never in money. Well, the Bible doesn't prohibit tithing in money, paying in shekels or talents, but it doesn't explicitly mention paying tithing with money either. Although paying money is clearly inferred by Leviticus 27.31, which says, If a man wishes to redeem any of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. The only way that makes any sense is with monetary compensation. You don't buy back less grain at the cost of more grain. Doesn't really make sense. And what this illustrates is a divergence in what we call hermeneutics, the methods and techniques of interpreting the Bible. For some Protestants, especially of the fundamentalist or the restorationist stripe, the Bible prohibits everything that it does not specifically prescribe. For example, having church laws, even bylaws, would be heretical. The only valid laws are the commandments in the Bible. Now I wouldn't expect that argument to hold up in a court, a civil court, but okay. For our hermeneutic, our Catholic approach to the Bible and to Christian doctrine, we have the liberty then to go to tradition, or to church law and precedent, or use theology for matters on which the Bible is silent. Today I thought I would preach about biblical tithing. You might say, why? This is Christ the King Sunday. I think that's a perfect time to address the topic because what we're talking about here is royal tribute. Remember when Jesus said, "'Render unto Caesar and render unto God,' he was answering the question, "'Is it lawful to pay tribute to Caesar?' St. Paul articulated the Christian attitude to tribute well in Romans 13, verse seven through 10. "'Render therefore to all their dues, "'tribute to whom tribute is due, Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loves has fulfilled the law. The offering of tribute is an ancient way of showing honor and respect. It may involve money or some other kind of wealth or even some symbolic uh, gifts. That's where we get the Latin contribute or contribution and tribute may be voluntary or exacted through taxation. Tribute has been used as a tool for worship, paying homage to the King of all things. One of the suggested offertory verses in the prayer book is Psalm 96, verse nine. Ascribe unto the Lord the honor, do his name. Bring offerings and come into his courts. You don't want to show up into his courts empty handed Think of the Magi visiting the infant Jesus at the Epiphany. They offer gifts of tribute to honor his royalty, gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Luke records that the members of the Sanhedrin argued for Jesus's crucifixion saying, we found this man perverting our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a King. We believe that tribute belongs to Christ, for He is indeed the King of kings. As Lord of lords, He is worthy of every offering that we could ever give, every sacrifice that we have to offer. In the Eucharistic intercession in the prayer book, we pray that Christ's people may honor Thee with their substance and be faithful stewards of Thy bounty. The ecclesiastical law for our province commends the tithing principle. Article 1, Canon 9, Section 1 of our Constitution and Canons says, says, the biblical tithe is the minimum standard of giving to support the mission of the church and should be taught and encouraged at every level in the church. A tithe in financial giving is also enumerated among the duties of the laity, later in canon law. It's also laid out as the principle for parish giving to the diocese, for diocesan giving to the province, and for provincial giving to the global communion. It's the principle governing financial stewardship in our church. The word tithe simply means a tenth, 10%, sort of like a quarter means 25%. By the way, tithe comes from the old Germanic English, whereas dime comes from the Latin. A tithe was generally applied to one's increase in wealth, like a wage. Multiple tithes, in fact, were commanded in the Mosaic law. These were all collected by the state, of course. There was no separation between church and state. The main one, of course, was for the support of the temple and its personnel. Another tithe was specifically for relief of the poor. But the tithe as a principle goes back long before Moses. It was a common practice in the ancient Near East, and we find it enshrined in multiple law codes among many cultures. In the Jewish lore, recorded in the medieval Hebrew Midrash, the Book of Jasher, Shem, the son of Noah, from whom we get the word Semite, taught the principle of tribute to his descendants. The first mention of the tithe in the Bible is in Genesis 14. After Abram or Abraham had rescued his nephew Lot and was victorious in battle, he ends up at ancient Salem, later to become Jerusalem, and pays tribute to the priest king there from probably from his spoils of war. It says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram, it says, gave him a tenth of everything. It's worth noting that the letter to the Hebrews in the Bible and the church fathers reckoned Melchizedek, the name literally means king of righteousness as a type a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Abraham apparently taught that same principle of tithing in his family. For next, we find the word used in the story about Abraham's grandson, Jacob. In Genesis 28, remember, Jacob has that dream of a ladder, a stairway reaching up into heaven. And when he wakes, he calls the place Bethel, house of God. And God confirmed with him the covenant that he had made with his father and grandfather. And Jacob accepted the covenant and made a vow saying, if God be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou givest me, I will give a tenth to thee. Even though Jacob had yet to receive any of the promised blessings, he had faith in God and his covenant and pledged the tribute that was yet to come. Then in Leviticus, we find tithing first mentioned as part of the law of Moses. And the word is just used in passing, not defined or anything, without explanation, indicating that it's already a well-known and accepted principle of stewardship. It just says, who the tithe belongs to. Talking about the abundance of the Holy Land, it says, all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Since tithing was so universal, the New Testament really has little to say about it directly outside of Jesus' passing reference to paying tribute to God as well as Caesar. Most of the focus on giving in the New Testament is on giving with sincerity and humility. In fact, the early church experimented with holding all things in common, of owning nothing. That arrangement didn't persist very long but the idea of everything belonging to God and being generous to Him in return became the Christian perspective. Stopping at the tithe was seen in the early church as a kind of miserly thing. Saint Clement of Alexandria and Saint Irenaeus pleaded with their churches to surpass the Old Testament tithe since Christ had fulfilled the law of Moses. Chrysostom shamed his stingy church for marveling at those who tithed. The tithe first appears in church law with the apostolic constitutions of the 4th century. It gave specific instruction to the bishops on tenths versus firstfruits, on freewill offerings, and so on. The document states that the tithes were the command of God. It also describes how there's an analogy between the Old Testament priests and Levites being supported with the tithe and the support of the New Testament bishops, priests, and deacons of the church and exhorted all Christians to pay their firstfruits and tithes. The tithe next appears in church law at the Synod of Macon in Burgundy in 585 with a canon defining the payment of church tithes as something that is obligatory By the 900s, the system of tithes had matured in the English parochial system. A rector, a ruler, was a priest responsible for allocating the tithed offerings, while a vicar was a priest employed with some of those funds, but not responsible for them. Although the various systems for church funding kind of came and went, the terminology remained. Then in the 1500s, when some of the Protestants called into question paying tithes, the Council of Trent responded with excommunication for any Catholic who denied his offering of tithes to God. Well, what are the principles behind this idea of tithing? First of all, notice how often the word first comes up in its discussion in scripture, as in like the first fruits. God does not ask for the last, for the leftovers. He wants the first, he wants the best. Even the firstborn of both man and beast, it says, belongs to him. They can be redeemed, bought back as a recognition of his ownership. And this is basically the ritual that happens with Jesus when he's presented in the temple as a baby. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of your crop. It is to say that God wants our best and that he deserves our best, and that even our best is but a token or a substitute for all that we have. The ritual of sacrifice is a gesture recognizing his dominion over all. Mass offerings, be they bread and wine or monetary gifts, are but tokens of ourselves as we pray in the Eucharistic canon. And here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies, to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice unto thee. And secondly, tithing teaches us to be humble stewards, entrusted with great riches. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the poor And tithing cultivates that purity. It teaches us to be frugal, to be humble, to live within our means. It reminds us that all things ultimately belong to God rather than to us, and that we should be grateful for all his blessings. God is not seeking some type of financial compensation from the things that he offers to us. He doesn't need anything from us. Everything already belongs to him. Psalm 50, verse 12, All the world is mine, the whole fullness thereof. Obligatory giving is rather something for our good. He tells us to do the right thing, just as you would tell your children to do what's good for them. I remember one of my roommates in college had a very wise dad who was a very good businessman. And I remember that he would say, quite frequently, give 10% save 10%. If you can't live off 80%, then you are simply living above and beyond your means. Too many of us live beyond our means. That means there's nothing left over for God, for charity, even for our own future. We have to get our priorities in order and plan ahead. John Bunyan had a famous couplet. There was a man, some called him mad, The more he gave, the more he had. Tithing, of course, doesn't buy our way into heaven or buy God's love. We already have that guaranteed. But it does help us keep our own house in order. Helps us not be controlled by the love of money, which Paul says is the root of all kinds of evils. Helps us to be humble and have our priorities straight. It brings honor to God and fosters devotion in us. After all, Jesus had said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And your checkbook will likely prosper when your heart prospers, when you've come to that determination within yourself, when we've set our priorities in order. God wants to be first, and he wants to see others as second and he wants us to be content with being third. And then we will know the meaning of blessed are the poor in spirit. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says, each of you should give what he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to be like him, and he is a generous giver of gifts. Christ offered his entire self to the Father on our behalf. Today we seek to honor and emulate him, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, our sacrificial victim and our great high priest. And now unto God Almighty, as is rightly due, be ascribed majesty, glory, dominion, and praise, now and unto the ages of ages, amen.